Today we begin a, a six-week uh, um, challenge of uh, messages or sermons, if you will, whatever you want to call them, on discipleship and how not a fan, uh, based on the uh, great reading of a book entitled I'm Not a Fan, written by the teaching pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, one of the largest churches um, in the United States. Uh, but it's a challenging book. If you haven't read it, uh, I would encourage you to go to a Christian bookstore. You can probably even find it at Barnes & Noble. And uh, ask for Not a Fan. Uh, because it's not a fan, but growing to be fully, completely committed followers of Jesus Christ. Several classes, at least two, uh, have gone through it, are working on it. Some others are thinking about the possibility uh, of doing that in their classes. And it's a, it's a great challenge because uh, what we're called to is to be disciples. And to be followers of Christ and not just a fan of Jesus Christ. That's what it all boils down to. And in the discipleship following aspect, we're really not doing a good job. A recent uh, study done by uh, a group called Changing the Face of Christianity Incorporated, it's a nonprofit group. Uh, they're dedicated to reversing the negative Christian stereotypes. I uh, did a, a test on a group of about 2,000 people, and they had 10 multiple choice questions uh, to which they would give an answer. And then the answers on that would determine uh, where they were in their spiritual pilgrimage, uh, whether they were far from Christ, whether they were a worldly Christian, a good Christian, or a spiritually mature Christian. Uh, the thing that surprised me about uh, this, the, the results of that survey was not that 24% of people who call themselves to be Christians were, were in that worldly category. But what surprised me was it wasn't more than that. But at least 24% in that representative sampling were defined as worldly Christians. And here's what it really means. This is what Brad White, the founder of Changing the Face of Christianity, said. When posed with a real world situation which tests their faith, they tend to do what the rest of the world does instead of living as Jesus instructs. Now that's worldly Christians. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we face in our culture today. And that's why the church in America isn't having the impact that it should be having in our culture today. It's because we are not following as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're more of a fan than we are a follower. And that's not what Jesus intends for us to be. And He makes it clear in all of His teachings. He tells us very clearly and distinctly what the demands are if you're going to follow after Him. Our scripture for today in Luke 9 beginning in verse 18 is one place that He talks about that. And you read this with me and you will see it's very clear that He is absolutely upfront about what the demands are. Once when Jesus was praying in private and His disciples were with Him, He asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus doesn't pull any punches there or hide anything. He's very forthright in talking about what's going to happen to him and what is going to be demanded of those who would follow after him. He's talking about he wants his followers to be totally committed to him. And the relationship that they have, he wants it to be real and genuine and meaningful for us. And so, in these weeks to come, as we go through many more passages of Scripture like this, we're going to hear the demands that Jesus gives to us. Now, today we're talking about defining the relationship. And that's your opportunity today to hear these words and to define the relationship where you are in your relationship with Christ. We got a video clip from um, the author of the book that uh, kind of introduces us to that, to the DTR moment. And hopefully you can recognize that. Chances are these letters are enough to strike fear into your heart. You may run away from, postpone, you may dread the DTR talk. Some young men will even terminate a relationship if they feel like the DTR talk is imminent. It is that official talk that takes place in every romantic relationship. Do you know what it stands for, DTR? Define the relationship. You sit down and you decide where things are going. Have things moved from casual to committed? I remember this uh, date I went on in high school. On the very first date, the girl tried to have the DTR talk with me. First date, DTR. I got out of their PDQ. I just ran away. All right, you married? You probably know what that is, that moment, the DTR, defining the relationship. You know, uh, that's when you say, okay, where's this relationship going? Uh, we're going to be friends? We're going to date? Are we going to be casual dated? Are we going to, is this leading towards marriage? You know, Cookie and I will celebrate 37 years of married life in November. Uh, four children, three in laws, uh, six grandchildren, and a seventh one on the way. And to this day, I do not know what happened except that all of a sudden we're sitting down and we're talking one night, and the next thing I know, we're getting married. And it, it was just a whirlwind thing of like from August until November. And that was as quick as it could be uh, to, to get everything together for, for a wedding during Thanksgiving while I was in seminary. But, uh, you know, there it is, defining that relationship. That's what Jesus wants you to do today. Where are you in relationship to Him? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Where is this relationship you have with Christ going? Well, what does it mean to be a fan? I mean, you might say, I thought I was a fan of Jesus. I thought that's good. You know, we got fans of all kinds of sports and other things that take place. You know, you're waiting for uh, college football to start, for NFL football to start. You got your favorite teams you cheer for. We're fans and we follow them. 
But what is the difference in that and a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, a fan is described as an enthusiastic admirer. And Jesus doesn't want admirers, He wants followers who will absolutely follow Him and live in that relationship with Him and being obedient to Him. Now, we're going to look at, first of all, three questions that will help you identify uh, where you are in this relationship, defining the relationship. And, and then we're going to look at uh, five things that Jesus points out from this passage of Scripture that helps us grow in that relationship with Him to be a follower and not a fan. So, the, the three questions about discipleship are these. Why are you here? Are you all in? And have you made it your own? Okay? So, here we go. Question one. Why are you here? Why are you here? That, that simply is the question that asks, what do you want in your relationship with Jesus Christ? If you read through the Gospels you will find that in many different settings there were people who came to Jesus for many different things. They wanted healing, they wanted food, they wanted power, they wanted authority. They wanted all kinds of things. On one occasion in the 6th chapter of John Jesus is at the very height of His ministry. Uh, and we read that large crowds were following after Jesus. And one of the main reasons for that is that Jesus performed the, the miracle of feeding the multitude, you know, with the, the little fish and the little loaves of bread. And they kept coming back for more, and Jesus realized that what they were coming back for were more miracles and more food. And so he began to teach them about what it meant to follow him and what it would cost. And in verse 66 of John 6, it says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You see, the saying has always been when, when the tough get going gets tough, the tough get going. You see, when Jesus is saying is that when the, when the going gets tough, the committed, the followers follow me. And the others turn back. Now, what do you want from Christ? Why are you here? What do you want in a relationship with Christ? What do you want in a relationship with this church? See, my fear is that most of the times the church is full of just simply fans. You show up on Sunday, you like the show that's provided up here, and you get to go home and, or you're out to eat lunch and you get to talk about and critique the sermon, the music and this, and what people were wearing who were seated beside you and the people who were you know, visitors you didn't know and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. If that's your concept of that, you're a follower. You're not, I mean, you're a fan, you're not a follower. And, and that's not being obedient to what God wants us to do. I think that's one of the main reasons why a lot of people just simply drop out of church and they don't attend. On any given Sunday, we have far less than half of our membership here. Why? Well, some of them have moved away. We don't know where they are. But there are others that just, I think, have decided, I don't want to pay the cost. They keep asking for more and more demands on me. That's not me, that's the Bible. That's what God wants on you. So, why are you here? The second question is this Are you all in? See, being a follower of Jesus Christ calls for a total commitment, complete commitment, as you can follow Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ are absolutely loyal, totally and completely committed to following after Jesus Christ. How are you doing on that? See, I think we uh, tend to be more selective on our commitment. Maybe it's called customized Christianity. We say, okay, Jesus sounds good. I'll take Jesus into my life. But that's not going to change a whole lot in me. I, don't, ask me to, don't ask me to forgive this wrong that was done a long time ago. I'm going to hate that person. I'm not going to forgive. And don't, don't challenge me with that. 
Or you say, don't bring up that issue of money. You might have been sitting there cringing the whole time and gritting your teeth while Dan was talking about that. You say, you're talking about my money. Don't be telling me what I'm supposed to do with that. Give more to the church. Give it to God. I work hard for that money. I'm not going to be obedient to that. Or you might say, well, yeah, you know, this thing about Jesus in your life, giving you complete peace and fulfillment and all that, that sounds good. But don't ask me to give up my cravings and my desires, whatever they might be. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, all of that kind of stuff. I'm not going to change with that. You know, if that's your attitude, you're just a fan. You are not a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, here's a third question to ponder. Have you discovered your own faith? You discovered your own faith. You see, far too many people uh, express faith of some kind because they want to please somebody. Like their wife, the husband, parents, the children, grandchildren, or whatever. Something like that. But Jesus makes it clear in this setting that your faith has to be your own. He doesn't want a relationship with you and your wife, or with you and your mother, or with you and your father, or with you and so and so. He wants a relationship with you. Your faith has to be your own. In in Luke 14, 26, in another setting, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And that doesn't mean hate in the way that you despise somebody. But that's talking about loving God more than you love any other relationship. So, have you made that decision in your life that you know who Jesus Christ is and you've made that faith your own? So, one of my friends at seminary put it well for a lot of us, I think. He said, you know what? He said, I left home and came to seminary with my mother's faith. But now I have my own faith. And I would say that seminary did a great job with us when we came to that conclusion. It's got to be your own. And you've got to come to that realization. And we'll look at that in a moment. Because there are those three questions. Now, let's look at the text and look at the five steps to being a follower. And over the next uh, five weeks from today, we'll see how these steps, I think, will play out in the process of becoming a follower, a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ and not just, not just a fan. First one is this, believe and confess that Jesus is the Christ of God. That goes back to answering the question, have you made that faith your own? Remember the setting here, we think is in Caesarea Philippi, it's just like another setting when Jesus was there in Caesarea Philippi and He asked the disciples, what's being said about me? What's the word out there on the street? What do people think about me? And they said, well, some of you think you're Elijah or Moses or other the prophets, maybe even Jeremiah that's come back. And in every setting, Jesus said, okay, but what do you think? And in this setting today, He looked and said, what do you think? And Simon Peter's the one said, you are the Christ of God. You are the Christ of God. That's a powerful statement that He is saying. The word Christ is a title meaning anointed king. It's the fulfillment of the promise in the word Messiah. And then you look at that phrase of God. He doesn't say from God, he says of God. And then and in the, the Greek it's called a genitive absolute. In other words, Peter was saying Jesus not only came from God, but he shared the divine nature of God. He was a part of God. So you see, if you really want to begin that journey of growing as a fully 
devoted and completed complete follower of Jesus Christ. You've got to believe and confess that Jesus is the Christ. So, who is He to you? Can you honestly say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came into this world as the Messiah to fulfill all the prophecies, and He died on the cross for my sins, just as He said He would. You see, in the New Testament people openly confess their belief in Jesus Christ by being baptized. Have you done that? Have you made that decision in your life? And have you been baptized to show that? That Jesus Christ is your Savior. He is the King of your life. He is the Lord of your life. Then the second step is this. Allow Jesus to have the throne in your life. Look at verse 23. That's one of the most powerful statements that is made in all the Scripture about discipleship. Then He said to them, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. That's powerful. That really talks about true discipleship. And we can't be a disciple unless first of all we deny ourselves. And that doesn't mean you deny yourself a car or sweets or whatever you want, those kinds of things like that. But it means that you deny your ego yourself. And let's admit it, at the very core of sin is self-centeredness, right? That was exactly where Adam and Eve fell. There was self-centeredness that they said, how dare you tell me not to eat of this tree? You know, and they decided they were going to do it. And we're all like that. So, our ego, the big I, is important. And we have to die to that. We have to deny that self. You remember the poem Invictus, and the last line says, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Compare that with the unselfish life that Jesus taught. Now, we have three graphics up here. That uh, courtesy of a Campus Crusade for Christ book that describes three different people and where you are in relationship with Christ. The first one is a natural person. That's someone who's not received Christ. And you'll see that self is on the throne. That circle represents your life. The chair there is the throne, and self is on there. And Christ, represented by the cross, is outside of that circle. And you notice that those dots in there, that's everything that, that make up the components of your life, and they're kind of haphazardly thrown in there. Okay, so that's the natural person. Now, the second one is this. The second one is the carnal person. This is one who says he or she has received Christ, but lives in defeat because they're trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. You'll notice that the cross is squeezed into that circle. But you look at the chair, the throne, and you'll see that self is still there, represented by the S. Now, you look at all the things that go on in that life. They're still in there. Those dots represent that, but they're still haphazard. Now, let's look at the third view. This is the spiritual person, one who is directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, fully committed to Christ, who allows Christ to sit on the throne of his or her life. And you look at the picture and how different it looks. That life is complete. There's the throne represented by that chair. Jesus is there on the throne, represented by the cross. Self is where? At the foot of the throne. Now, you see all those dots neatly organized around that circle? Those are still all the components of one's life. But when you learn to prioritize your life by allowing Jesus Christ to be Lord, and you kneel at the throne and let Him sit on the throne, then your life comes together. See, that's what's so significantly important about following after Christ, being a disciple. Now, the third step, I think Jesus says, is you've got to be willing to die every day. Jesus says you've got to take up your cross and follow Him daily. And don't miss this. For somebody back in that day to take up the cross meant what? Death. Most awful means of execution that any society has ever come up with. Terrible. 
If you're paraphrasing that for today, it would be take up the electric chair or take up the gurney, you know, for where you're going to be injected with the lethal dose. You know, maybe if you hung up on the Old West, a rope for hanging or something. But when you take up the cross, you're headed to one place, and that's death. And Jesus knew that. He knew that literally He was. So, what does it mean for us as disciples to do that? To take up our cross? Well, you can wear one in your pocket. You can wear one around your neck. That's okay if that's what uh, is important for you. Nothing wrong with that. You can even take a great big wooden cross, put wheels on it, and walk across the country with it if that's what God wants you to do. But that's not what's most important. What's most important is that you're willing to deny yourself to the point that you're willing to die every day by taking up the cross. You know, and, and people all the time think wrong about what it means that this is my cross and I'll just have to bear it, whether it's ingrown toenails or hemorrhoids. They think that's just, you know, that's their cross that they've got to bear. Or the mother in law comes to live with them. You know, that's just a cross I've got to bear. You know, uh, no, that's not it. It's not just debilitating illness. It's not some kind of uh, uh, circumstance. There's a difference between burdens and thorns and cross. A cross is what you voluntarily are willing to endure to follow after Jesus Christ as a disciple. And He calls us to do that daily by dying. How do we die? We die to ourself. You know, but ourself has more lives than a lucky cat because we keep coming down off that cross, don't we? We keep jumping down off the cross. I think this is something that the Apostle Paul used that helped him die every day. And it's found in Galatians 2.20. And it might be something that we all need to write down and read and commit to memory and use every day. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. You see, it's only by the power of Christ living in you that you can die to self, take up your cross daily, and follow after Christ. That's how we're crucified. That's how we die to self. It's because of Christ living in us. And we should die with Him when He died. Then the fourth step is this. Jesus says, you've got to follow me, follow God in obedience. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That simply means to walk in the way that Jesus walked. And Jesus was the perfect example in everything in life. And He was the perfect example of walking in obedience to the Father. He did nothing except what the Father told Him. And He kept in check with Him. He knew when He came to earth that's what He was supposed to do. He was to die on the cross as our sacrifice for sins. And He kept in touch with God. He kept praying. He kept praying for every major decision He had to make in life. And He made them in accordance with God's will. He was completely obedient to the will of God. If we're going to be more than fans, if we're going to be followers, then we too have to follow after the teachings of God and be obedient to what God calls us to do and to be. Now, here's the fifth step. As Jesus says, to be a fully devoted follower, you must lose your life in the kingdom of God. Verse 24 says, whoever loses his life for me will save it. That's a paradox, isn't it? We have to lose our life to save it. But what's so significant is that Jesus is talking about losing our life in the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, it simply means that you get so infatuated with the kingdom of God that you just kind of lose track of anything else. 
So, I don't know what some of your hobbies are. Like, you know, it might be woodworking, it might be restoring cars, it might be needlepoint, it might be sewing, it might be reading, it might be working crossword puzzles or jigsaw puzzles, you know, or anything like that, that you can get so immersed in it that you lose all track of time. Has that ever happened to you with your hobby? I mean, it happens to me all the time. I love to read. A lot of times I, I read at night and I get so engrossed in the book that I just can't put it down. And when I finally stop to take a break, I look and it's like, gosh, it's 1.30 in the morning. And I've just lost myself in that. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about, about losing yourself in the kingdom of God. You just become so absorbed with it that you lose track of everything else in your life. And that's the way He wants us to live. And the interesting thing about the kingdom of God is Jesus makes reference to the fact that it's both now as we accept Christ and live in it and it's a future event when Christ comes back with the holy angels and all that He talks about there in verse 26. Now, that's what He talks to us about. From that ancient setting when He said, what is it people say about me? What's the word on the street going on about me? And who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ of God. Since that moment, Jesus has begun to call people to be followers, not just fans. And He's laid out for us very clearly what those demands are. So, let me ask you this. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Where are you today? Why are you here? If Jesus is sitting down beside you, and He looks at you and He says, okay, this is a DTR moment. Let's define this relationship. And he says, where's our relationship going? Where's it staying and where are we going? What would you say? Oh, yeah, I'm committed to you. I, I'm, it's you and me. You and me, Jesus. I'm committed to you. I'm ready to, I'm ready to follow after you, taking up my cross, doing whatever it is I need to do to be a follower. Are you going to say, well, you know, um, I've had a good time so far, but I just don't think I'm ready to make a commitment. Maybe that's where you are. You're a fan. You're an admirer, but you're not a committed follower. That's why we're talking today about defining the relationship and why we'll be talking about the next five weeks discipleship and being a follower, not a fan. So, where are you today? What decisions do you need to make if you're not a follower to become a completely committed follower of Jesus Christ? Father, we thank You for the clear and concise teaching uh, that's given to us in Scripture about discipleship as we ponder that issue over these next several weeks. And we commit this time to You. And I pray that You will open our hearts and open our minds, open our spiritual ears and eyes so that we can hear Your Word and respond to that uh, to become Your completely committed followers. That You will move many of us from that level of being interested or being an admiring fan to being a completely committed follower. So that we can just become absorbed with your kingdom and immerse completely in your kingdom and we'll live the way that you call us to live. And Father, I pray for that movement and power and decision to make that through the Holy Spirit who moves in our midst right now. And we commit this time to you in Christ's name.